Exodus 20, verse 12, we're reading the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. We always need to pray, but especially this morning, let's ask the Lord to focus our minds on his word. Father, any commandment that you give is to be taken with the utmost seriousness. You are the God who made heaven and earth and all that is in them. We owe you our full attention. We pray that we would give it this morning. You give us a, a heart to hear and understand, agree with, and obey you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a time and a society where we can see in real time the disintegration of the family. We see what happens when a people disregards the Lord and His Word, and when Families and individuals do what is right in their own eyes. When we get to come up with our own definitions of whatever we want to define, and then pursue our own desires without restraint. The consequences of this are probably too numerable to elaborate on. But among the consequences of this kind of society in which we live, are the countless children who are hurt because they are brought up with no fear of God in their eyes. We have a nation that wants to usurp the role of parents and try to teach kids what they think should be taught rather than what parents think should be taught, or more importantly, what God should be taught. We have an instance of a, an organization that runs a summer camp for kids in Washington State called Camp Solomon Schechter that has said per their policy that any child who comes to their camp, and we're talking about those from middle school through high school, and decides that at camp they would like to transition to another gender, that the camp counselors will not tell the parents and keep it private. The family has always been a target of attack because the family is God's design, and it's a beautiful design. God is the one who ordered it, invented it, and gives meaning to it. From the very beginning, God created man and woman, male and female, and he united one man and one woman together in marriage. And from the intimate love that the husband and wife share comes life, comes children. And in God's ideal plan, that child is welcomed into now a family that has parents that are devoted to the Lord, devoted to his ways, surrendered to him in all things who will grow up with the blessings of knowing what it means to follow God, 
will see on display the greatness of God and his ways. A child should, children will and should grow up in an environment where they are fed, protected, taught, socialized, and led to know the true God and taught his ways. It should come from parents who realize that parenting is a sacrifice. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. It is the obligation of parents to give, care for, and provide for their children. We have in Ephesians chapter 5, which I invite you to turn there, an example of what families, what Christian families should look like. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that sets the tone for the passage that's going to follow. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is the main exhortation to the church at Ephesus and to really all believers uh, in regard to this segment of Scripture is to be filled with the Spirit. That is, to be under His control, under His sway, bearing His fruit. And that will be manifest in the different relationships that you have. So Paul goes on to explain what it will look like to be filled with the Spirit in the context of the church. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A church that is filled with the Spirit will be a worshipful church that worships God from the heart, and then within the relationships, there will be a kind of mutual submission that happens out of reverence for Christ, but that will be displayed in different ways depending on the kind of relationship. And so then the Apostle Paul goes on to describe the family, to show what spirit-filled people will look like within the family. And it says in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Then he goes on in verse 25 and describes the husband should love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So spirit-filled church members will manifest being filled with spirit within their families. Wives will submit to their husbands out of reverence for Christ. Husbands will sacrificially love their wives as Christ has loved the church. Then it goes on in chapter 6. It says, 6 1, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Spirit-filled family will be composed of a wife who submits to her husband as Christ has his church submit to him. They'll have a husband who is so loving that he sacrifices really himself for the good of his wife, making himself the kind of man that a wife could submit to. And then you have in this family children who obey parents as if they are obeying the Lord. And then fathers who are not tyrants, but who 
live with a loving disposition towards their children and bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the beautiful picture of what a family is to be. And yet, this kind of family that is composed in this way almost seems like a, a fairy tale to many. Those who have been brought up in a family, who have had parents, which is all of us, you realize, fall way short. The ideal family oftentimes is just that. It's just an ideal. And in reality, families fall so short. Not everyone has had the experience of growing up in a loving family with loving parents. Many haven't. Many have experienced less than the ideal and some more than others. I've been spending a lot of time in my hometown near Syracuse lately, and uh, it's given me opportunity to go to places that I haven't been in probably 20 years. And I don't know if you've ever had that kind of an experience where you go to a place that was very familiar to you for a formative portion of your life, and you're away for it, from it for a while, and then you go back and you get to see it, and it's, uh, uh, it's a bit bizarre. It feels so familiar and yet so distant in many ways. And I had that experience as I drove down a street that I literally had not driven on for 20 years, and yet I'd spent many, many times on that street. And as I went down that street, I had a flashback of it. As I drove by this apartment complex, it reminded me that I had a, a friend in early middle school, fifth grade or so, that lived in those apartments. And I spent a good amount of time with him, and I hadn't thought about him for years. And I remember that when we were friends at that time, he would ask me a lot, can I come over and play at your house? And at the time, I just thought, wow, he really likes spending time with me. But as I drove by those apartments and realized they're not the nicest apartments. And now it came to mind, his parents were divorced. And him asking me to come over and play at my house when I was in fifth grade was probably an indicator that things weren't all that happy at home. It took me 20 years to realize that, more than that. Isn't that a common experience though? How many children are in that kind of environment? How many of you know that kind of life Family is not a happy spot. The home is not a place that you want to be. It's full of strife and contention. You have parents that are workaholics or exhibit emotional manipulation or explosive in their anger or worse in physical abuse or sexual abuse. And there's divorces, infidelity or favoritism or just the unrelenting demands On the child side, we see the brokenness of families as children exhibit rebellion and really have nothing to do with their parents. Maybe they were even raised in a good and godly home, and yet their hearts go after other things, and they leave all the values that have been instilled in them and bring great grief to their parents as they watch their children go off in ways that they had never taught them to go. Rebellious children are an indicator of the effect of the fall in our world. In Romans chapter 1, as Paul lays out all the sinfulness that man exhibits since the fall, he says that they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. He goes on to describe them as 
slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. It goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, as he describes what it's going to be like in the last days, times of difficulty, he says people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. The presence of rebellious children is an indicator that the fall has happened, that we live in a broken world with broken families. We don't have to just look at our own experience, or that it's very obvious. We can also look to the examples that are in Scripture of broken families. We studied Genesis uh, in the church recently on Sunday nights, and during that time there was an insightful comment that was made, not by me, but just somebody who was coming to that study. As we studied the lives of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's children, somebody made the comment that that book of Genesis was case study after case study of dysfunctional families. And if you haven't read Genesis recently, go back and look at it from that angle, and you see from the very start you have Cain and Abel. Which more dysfunctional does it get than that? With one of the brothers killing the other, and then you have Jacob, who deceives and tricks his father, and you have Esau, who grieves his parents by marrying a woman that they don't want him to marry. You have the sons of Jacob taking their brother Joseph, putting him in a pit, and then lying to their father about his death. Then you have later in the New Te Old Testament, you have David and his son Amnon, who raped his sister Tamar, and then you have the other brother, Absalom, so furious that David didn't do anything about it that he ultimately leads a coup against King David. The Bible's not a stranger to broken families, and it shows the need for God's redemption. Redemption is being bought back from something and bringing it back into a place of right relationship. And this is the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ. That though we have sinned, God sent his son to redeem sinners. And his redemption reaches out to provide forgiveness for sinners so that we can be reconciled to God, but extends its, grap its grasp beyond that so that redemption begins to flow into other avenues of life, including the family, so that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, families can actually experience some degree of what God has intended for the family. The nation of Israel, back in Exodus, had been led out of slavery from Egypt, and God did that by his grace and his power alone. And now he's brought them into the wilderness, and there he is giving to them his law. Having redeemed them, he now instructs them in how they are to live, because they are to be his people. They are to be a holy nation, a nation that looks different from every other nation on the globe. That was his intention for them. For all of the mess that the world was, Israel was rescued out of slavery, brought into a relationship with God by his grace, and now given his law, 
that would show them to be distinct from everybody else. And that's where we're at in our study of Exodus and the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments really show you how unique Israel was to be. The first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. Israel was to be monotheistic, unlike the rest of the nations around them, and have exclusive devotion to Yahweh. And all the other nations would see that this nation doesn't need a plurality of gods. They have the one true God as their God. And they would see, the nations would see a nation of Israel as a nation that has such a superior God that he cannot be confined to some graven image. That's the second commandment. He is the God who made heaven and earth and who dwells in unapproachable light. And he would be Israel's God and you cannot confine him to an image. So Israel was commanded not to make a carved image. The third commandment that sets them apart is that they were not to take the name of the Lord, their God, in vain. That means that they were to bear him. His name was stamped upon them and they were to represent him with complete devotion and not live lives unworthy of being called his people. And they'd show themselves as set apart. And the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in that they would reflect that their God is the one who made the world in six days and ceased from his labors on the seventh. And he gave this to show that he is the God who sanctifies them. And they would look distinct from all the world as they kept that one day apart because the God that made the heaven and the earth is their God. And now the Ten Commandments kind of pivot. They pivot from the relationship that Israel is to have with their God and how they reflect him and how they are devoted to him to now relationships that they have on a human level. It can be, unfortunately, somewhat easy to kind of fake a religious life, to show that you love God by all these externals and how you dress and how you talk, but the rubber really meets the road in some sense when you say that you love God and how it manifests itself and how you relate to others. So commandments 5 through 10 really engage the human relationships Israel is to have with each other. And so the commandments pivot here. And it sets out God's good design for the way human relationships should work. And it starts with family. And we look at this commandment for the rest of our time this morning to unpack how God intends for Israel and us to keep this, to reflect his greatness and his ways. Fifth commandment again is honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Basically, children are commanded to honor their parents in the way that God prescribes in order that they would fully experience the blessings of God and fulfillment of his promises. We know that this applies to us because Paul takes up this in Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, and directly applies it to the church. He calls children to obey their parents as these Ten Commandments are given to Israel. It is picking out every individual that is hearing the commandment and applying the commandment to them because when it says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long, 
It's referring to a singular you. It's referring to individuals. It's commanding the individual Israelites to keep this commandment. It's not just, okay, if 80% do it, it's required of all of them to keep this commandment. And the crux of the matter is honor. Honor your father and your mother. The basic meaning of the word that is used for honor, it means heavy. It means heavy. It can literally mean of some heavy item. It can also be used somewhat metaphorically to refer to a heavy limb, an unresponsive limb that you can't use. Or it can also mean honor. And the link between those meanings is this. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, it describes Abram. It says, now Abram was very heavy, literally heavy, in livestock, in silver, and in gold. It means that he had a, a plenty of possessions, so much so that they're quite literally heavy, but it described that he was heavy now in wealth and in honor. In honor, therefore, kind of transitions into this idea of giving respect, reverence, and a heavy kind of way to those who are in an elevated position. It's used of the mighty men of David who are honored or the prophets of Israel who are honored. And you see something of the opposite in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, where the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You get something of the sense of the word honor there by the contrast. There are those who honor the Lord, God will honor, but then those who despise him shall be lightly esteemed. Lightly esteemed is the opposite of honor. It is to make something light, to trivialize something, to make it no big deal. There's no weight or substance to them. From heavy to light, from honor to despise, from honor to trivialize, you get a sense of what honor is. Place on somebody respect, even a reverence. Primary way to honor parents is by obedience. That's the way that Paul takes it. In Ephesians chapter 6, when he quotes this fifth commandment, right before it, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The basic way that honor is to be given to parents is by obedience. It's obviously implied and almost barely needs stating in this, but should be said that if children are to obey their parents, then parents need to be the kind of parents that give good instruction to children that is worthy of being obeyed. Parents not only need to give good instruction that's worthy of being obeyed, but they also need to model a kind of life that shows that they are honorable. And they need to teach children not just that they should honor their parents, but that the honor should be specifically demonstrated through obedience to parents. And in that, the parent is not then responsible just for giving children commands, rapid fire. 
but they are responsible then to teach children how to obey the commands that they are given so that they can end up keeping this fifth commandment to honor father and mother. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 speaks to parents and says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise. The kind of environment that the fifth commandment is supposed to enter into is the kind of environment where parents are so saturated with God's word that they delight in it, they love God and they love his law, and they're so full of it that they are teaching God's word all of the time to their children so that the primary kind of commandments that children are, are obeying from their parents are not frivolous, flippant commands, but are commands rooted in God and his goodness and the goodness of his ways. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul agrees and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is no room in Scripture or in God's ways for parents to be tyrannical, despotic monsters who run their house with a rod of iron. That is not the kind of household that God designs for his people to possess. Yes, parents need to expect obedience and to give instructions, but not in a tyrannical way. They're not to provoke their children to anger. They're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord because they themselves so love God and his ways that they can't help but communicate that to their children. The natural question that comes up so what if the household isn't that way? What if parents aren't doing that? Do, the, do children still need to honor their parents? Well, yes, children need to honor their parents. But be quick to say that how that is going to look in a home where there is abusiveness and aggression and tyranny is going to require a lot of wisdom. It is not calling for flat-out obedience when a parent demands a child to do something that is ungodly. God does not expect children to disobey God in order to obey their parents. And so the working of this out in difficult situations requires much wisdom that can't just be caught by some blanket statement. But where there, are, where there are parents who are teaching the instruction of the Lord, then if a parent tells a child to do it, the child should do it. Honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents in everything. This is not a feet-dragging, reluctant, begrudging, delayed, resentful, bitter obedience. As a matter of fact, that's not obedience. Priscilla and I picked up a phrase from some of our friends, uh, I think before we became parents, or maybe right when we became parents, that has been really helpful to us. It's kind of defined what obedience is, and we found it very helpful. It's obeying is right away, all the way, with a happy heart. 
I've had the opportunity to teach lots of children's classes, and so I've taught them this many, many times. And so I'll teach kids, say to them, did you know that God wants you to obey your parents? And when you obey, he wants you to obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. So if your parents tell you to go and clean your room, you need to go and do it right away, and not after you finish that video game that you're playing. And you need to obey all the way, which means that if they tell you to clean your room, it's not just shoving everything in your closet, closing the door. You need to put things away as they expect you to do. And if your parents tell you to do something, it's not complaining against them or grumbling in your heart, saying, yes, mom, yes, dad, I'll do that right away and all the way. And then I'll ask the kids, which one of those is the hardest to do? And they always say, with a happy heart. And it is, isn't it? We know that. Because our own hearts are so bent inwards that when somebody expects something of us that we don't want to do, we get up in arms about it, and they've encroached on our territory. And so we might do it, but we're going to do it grumbling and complaining. The happy part is the hard problem, and so it shows that we need a God who can change our heart, who can give us a delight in His ways, who makes us not reluctant followers of Christ, but willing and obedient, happy followers of Him. And children, when your parents ask you to do something and it's not asking you to disobey God, and eating your broccoli is not disobeying God, do it! Right away, all the way, the happy heart. I recall watching a family at a, a playground, and there's lots of kids around, and you know kids in, in playgrounds um, be a bit of a disaster when they're told to go home. They don't want to leave. And there was this dad who came up, and this child was playing, probably five, six, or seven years old, and uh, I know the family. And the dad walked up and said, Okay, Susie, it's time to go. And that child went down the slide and ran right over to their father. Right away. No hesitation at all. Sometimes we think that obedience is just impossible for children. It's not. I know that family had given due diligence to instruct their children in the ways of God and to create an environment and a kind of home where God is respected, where God is honored, and where children are not the center of all things, but have their place, which is in reverence to God. And they exhibit that by honoring their parents through obedience. And that child came. At first I thought, what in the world did that dad bribe that girl with to get her to come? Bribery isn't obedience, and it wasn't that. And I know that they've had hard days, and there were probably days where the daughter went kicking and screaming. But on the other hand, there are too many examples of parents in grocery stores or convenience stores 
or other retail stores that are barking orders at their children and the child doesn't get what they want and they throw themselves on the ground and throw a tantrum because they want the toy that their mom won't get them and then the mom gives in to that child but clearly hating that child, looking with absolute despising eyes at that child but just wants to quiet that child down, buys the toy and exhibits a hatred for that child and letting that child have its way. Maybe it was just a bad day, but doubt it. Obedience to parents is to be rooted in a respect for the authority of their parent in their life, and parents need to teach their children that. Children obeying their parents prepares them for the reality that the entirety of their life is going to be lived under different authorities. Oftentimes, Bible interpreters take the fifth commandment as applying to different authorities. One, a Puritan applies it to the political father, the magistrate, the ancient father, those of old age, the spiritual fathers, pastors and ministers, the domestic fathers, the masters or the bosses of the world, or the natural father, the father of the flesh. I'm not convinced that that's entirely the best way to go about it because it's honor your father and your mother. It's clearly referring to the natural family. The reality of it is that by teaching children to keep this, to live this way, it prepares them for the reality that the rest of their life they will experience authorities in their life. You never find yourself completely autonomous and free from other people telling you what to do. Never. We have governments. We have bosses. You're always going to have those. When parents refuse to help their children keep this commandment, they're setting themselves, their children, up for a life of failure for the world that they're going to live in. Saw a video, kind of a shocking one, of a, a neighborhood around San Francisco. It was a residential neighborhood where there was a, a gang of young men, I would guess late teens, early 20s, that were just walking around the street just leisurely and with complete disregard for personal property as they smashed windows and opened doors of cars and took whatever they wanted. Complete disregard for any consequences that have come. That may be because of the government of San Francisco at home. But also maybe because there have been homes that lack teaching children any kind of respect for the kind of world that they live in that possesses authority, that possesses police, that possesses governments, that possesses bosses. But to shirk the fifth commandment is to relinquish children from understanding that they live always under the ultimate authority of God himself. We strive to teach our children that the ultimate reason they must obey parents is because ultimately they must obey God. Is not God glorified by wholehearted, zealous, devoted obedience? We acknowledge his glory, his wisdom, and his authority over us when we submit ourselves to obey him. And his commandments are not burdensome, says John. 
we give ourselves to him because we know that he knows better than we do. He knows how our lives should go better than we do. He has a plan from the end, from the beginning to the end. His plan is good. His ways are wise. And those who have been touched by him willingly give themselves to him in obedience. And when parents expect their children to obey them, it's not because they're tyrants, because they know that they need to help their children learn the way God built the world, that we live under his authority and ultimately find ourselves in a variety of relationships where we will need to obey, but ultimately we need to obey him. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. The son honors his father and the servant his master. This is God speaking. If then I am a father... Where is my honor? He expects his people to honor him. Jesus makes it plain that allegiance to a parent is superseded by allegiance to God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 37, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household and then he sums it up this way whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me jesus takes the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me and helps us understand that that is always, always, always the most supreme commandment, and he applies it to himself, so that allegiance to parents is never to take the place of the first commandment. We're to love Jesus more than we love our parents, but in doing so, you will better obey and honor your parents. This commandment, Honor your father and mother has attached to it a promise. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. That's the first commandment with a promise. It is that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Solomon, when he's speaking to his children, or his son in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Hear my son. Your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The instruction, the good instruction of parents for their children is a delight. It's good. It's lovely. But the kind of instruction that it produces in the child not an instruction that ends at the end of childhood. It endures on. So that the issue of honoring your father and mother extends beyond just the years of childhood and goes on to the years of adulthood. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. And Jesus makes it plain to the Pharisees who are breaking the fifth commandment by holding back really finances that they should give to their parents in support of them. And Jesus skewers them in saying that they disobey the fifth commandment of honoring your father and mother. He's speaking to adults there. 
And so as the promise goes on that you shall you'll live long in the land, it expects that honoring parents continues on beyond just the childhood years. So I know many of you don't have children or you have adult children. Some of you have older parents. Some of you don't. Some of them passed on. But if you do have parents still, regardless of your age, it is your responsibility before the Lord to honor them. How that looks in adulthood will take a variety of turns, but it should be something of your attention to make sure that you still honor your father and your mother as long as they are alive. Jesus, while he was on the cross in John chapter 19, one of the last things that he says before he dies, he sees his Mary, he sees his mother Mary standing nearby, along with the disciple whom he loved, that's John, and says, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Jesus, it's one of his last acts before he dies, makes provision for his mother. It shows that he continues to keep the fifth commandment. And so the endurance of this command extends into adulthood, and the promise extends the life of those who keep it that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. As Israel is going into the land, the promised land, the expectation is that they keep God's laws, and part of that is to have family dynamics that are going to honor him, and a result of that will be physical, longer life for Israel. Part of the fact that they would experience longer life is because the opposite was true if they didn't keep the fifth commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 through 21 says this, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This, is, this our son is stubborn, and rebellious, you will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I read that to my kids every night before they go to bed. No, I don't do that. But it's scary, isn't it? The consequences for Israel, if they didn't keep this, was that the death penalty was looming. That's how serious God takes the home environment and the honor that is due to parents and what happens when it's neglected and outright violated by children. He asked the question, is this still applicable today? Should I you know, gather up a pile of stones that I keep out my son's door just so he can see what's going to happen to him? No. Israel was a theocracy that had laws that governed it as a nation. The church is not that. God has not given us that responsibility, but it's still applicable today that, that promise, your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Well, Paul takes it up in Ephesians 6. He quotes it. For the church, it's reiterated in Ephesians. 
He draws attention to it, and I think the point is this. Well, one, there is legitimate physical easiness, in a sense, that attends to obeying God and His laws. Not always. But if you obey your parents, kids, life is going to be better for you. I guarantee it. But it goes beyond that because the kind of environment that's being imagined is the kind of environment where parents are teaching kids the ways of God. And in the New Testament home, the primary things that we're teaching them is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us at the cross, his lordship over all of our life, the goodness of his ways and the goodness of following him. That should be what permeates all of our life in home. And so as children are taught to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe on him for the forgiveness of sins, and to treat him as Lord and follow him all their days, the child who rejects that will be rejecting the very gospel that can save them, and they will experience separation from God for eternity in hell. But the child who listens to his parents believes the gospel and accepts the lordship of Jesus Christ over their life, will receive the gift of eternal life. God can't extend your days any longer than that. You will inherit kingdom heaven. There's no land better than that. You can't mess around with the family. It's God's design. Now, no, again, not all of you have kids. We're going to have kids, and there's not a superiority or an inferiority based on whether you have kids or don't have kids. But as a church, as God's people, we need to be a people that advances and promotes the kind of families that God wants his people to have. I have no problem with any of you telling and teaching my kids the ways of God that are summarized in the fifth commandment for them. I will do that for your kids as I have opportunity. We do it together. We need to be about this. The consequences are dire. Children, honor your father and your mother. That's what God expects of us. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would Make us indeed that kind of a church, these kinds of families and these kinds of homes where your word is taught, the gospel is explained, where your righteousness is on display. Father, I pray that you would raise up among us these children that are here, raise them to be men and women who love you, follow you. Pray that they would have not rebelliousness in their heart that lead them astray. You'd save them. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for how you teach us. Help us to live by it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.